Hi, everyone. I'm Claudia Sarek. And I'm Matt Lynch, filling in for Zach Mack. And this is So You Want to Run a Restaurant, powered by Back of House, where we let you have a seat at the table and talk about trending topics in the restaurant industry. So Lauren Bailey is our first return guest ever on So You Want to Run a Restaurant. And if you haven't checked out her episode, it's season two, episode eight, and it's chock full of tips and tricks and just really great advice from an amazing restaurateur. She felt like the perfect person to join us and talk about the future of full-service restaurants as part of this series. Her restaurant group, Upward Project, operates several full-service concepts, and so we couldn't have thought of anyone else um, better to bring on the show. And excitingly, we also have brought on Matt Lynch, the producer of So You Want to Run a Restaurant, to help me out with this mini-series that we're running this fall. So let's welcome Lauren to the show. All right. Well, we are excited to have Lauren Bailey back on the show. Oh my gosh, it's been it's been a while, and you are our first return podca- podcast guest. I'm pretty excited about it. We had a good time last time. Yeah. yeah. I know. I've been just waiting to be able to say so. Welcome back to the pod. I mean, this is our first like friend of the pod. I think we can we can say uh, back on the show, which is exciting. <laughs> Um, so yeah, I mean, I guess before we like actually get into business here, uh, yeah, Lauren, how, how have you been? How's uh, things been since we spoke? I think in the spring. Really good. You know, I mean, we. Um, I think I said this last time I was visiting with y'all, but we're just happy to have customers back in the restaurants and being busy. And um, you know, totally. it's a challenge. Obviously, like everybody's heard with staffing to some degree and, and chasing around, um, you know, the item of the week, I call it this week, it's Turkey. Um, you know, you never know what it's going to be. So keeps us on our toes, but we're ready for it. Lauren, we thought you would be a really great guest for this uh, discussion we're having about where full service dining is headed, kind of what the future looks like, especially since your restaurant group upward projects operates several different full service concepts, but you also have your, I know your ice cream, concept churn, which is kind of follows more under a different model. I'm, I'm just curious as you've kind of been examining things and charting the future for your different concepts, what are some of the differences you've noticed in kind of what things look like in the full service space versus elsewhere? You know, I think it's kind of a tale of two cities. I think a lot of, you know, we're starting to hear grumblings of um, on the street about people being nervous about, about full-service restaurants or casual dining or whatever, and I'm bullish on it. I think that, you know, we're all kind of starting to look forward into an imminent recession, and, and I think that it's not going to change. Even in 2009, it, it doesn't change that people want to go out. It just makes that selection process a little mm-hmm. bit more um, intense. And so for us, we want to deliver a really great experience. I think in general, the world is really focused on experiential environments. And so for us, we want to deliver an awesome experience to people at a great value. And how do we balance that out? And I think that's really the the place for, for um, full service dining and also casual dining. And, you know, with these price increases, there's there, I say a tale of two cities because I think there were folks that really focused on maintaining margin throughout this crazy time. And we were about maintaining value. And of course, you need to maintain your margin. You need to keep your business healthy. But we have always had a long view of these type of things. And to me, our priority has always been protecting that experience and the value for guests. Can we weather the storm of you know, the crazy prices and this challenging labor envi- environment, 
for the sake of protecting what our guests know and love and count on, despite what's going on in, um, in the industry. And that's really been something that we've invested in. And, and I say that in the way that like making that investment into, you know, a short term protection of a margin erosion to protect your guests experience for the long run, because everyone I know, it doesn't matter how much money they make is feeling these price increases. And so it's causing all of us now. And I said this a long time ago, I may have even said it on y'all's um, podcast. I think that you've got to be like very thoughtful and conservative about price increases because people don't, you may talk about it with your really close friends or family, but it's not something that you negative, you necessarily give that feedback to the restaurant. Mm-hmm. And as those dollars for all of us continue to shrink, it just provides more thought um, to people when they make that choice. And so we've got to nail it. I mean, you when people come in, because there are still so many restaurants and so many choices, and now everyone's on third-party delivery platforms. Sure. Um, everyone's doing these programs that you, you've just got to be maniacally focused about nailing it. And I think that's the other piece that separates people. There's either folks who are never going to give up. They're going to keep trying. They're going to keep turning the knobs, trying to make their business better. Or there's people who, you know, sort of lay down and say like, I'll just wait for this to pass. And I I think the results of that are pretty evident based on those choices. Yeah. That's interesting. So what sort of feedback have you had from consumers? I'm curious during Um, this. You know, I ask everyone about this and I think it's really interesting because I, at first I, you know, everyone was like, Oh, people aren't even responding. We're not seeing any dip in traffic. And yeah. you know, the, the, the gas thing happened and that was really the beginning of people being like, oh, this is real, you know? Right. And I probably need to think a little bit more. Everybody's pockets were full coming out of COVID and um, it really gave grocery stores anything. I mean, everything's more expensive, right? It gave all these operators and business owners permission to raise prices. Some, most of the time because they needed to based on there was like a labor issue because people were paying significantly more for the same labor or even worse labor than they had previously. And then just getting the goods in the door to make your thing, whether that was food, whether that's wine, a widget, a product, whatever, was just more expensive. And I think people overestimated the elasticity of those price increases. And so now they're feeling it. I've gone to a few places and, um, or been with people at other restaurants and they're just, they can't stop talking about it. Mm-hmm. And now I would say within the last 30 days, it's become not as faux pas to talk about how everything's really expensive. And I'm seeing people in all different demographics talking about like, oh my gosh, can you believe that um, this you know side of fries was nine dollars, and it's someone that can afford to buy a side of nine dollar fries, but they're not really excited about it. You know, we're mm-hmm. just willing to pass it off. And I, I think too, you know, you start to people look at their bank accounts at the end of the month and they see what's left over. And then if it's if they're not happy with what's left over, you know, you start scrolling through your spend and you you without even realizing it, have this moment where you're like, was that worth it? It's right. literally that phrase. Like, was that worth it? And what I do that yes. And you may not even think that you're thinking that, but you are thinking that. And so uh-huh. when you look at, at your statement and you see Postino for, you know, $64, you have this unconscious moment where you're like, that was a great night and we had so much fun. We got great wine, great food. I loved the environment. I had a nice time. Or you're like, eesh, that used to be $40 or $50 and now it's that. And like, I'm going to think a little bit more. And right. So I, think, I, I think operators are like a little slow on the uptick of like really trying to understand these kind of unconscious thoughts and decision making. And the same thing goes for off premise. So we're all trying to preserve as full service restaurants these increases in off-premise sales that we've had, and it goes back to the same thing. If you're working in an office and you just spent $26 on your lunch, you're going to have a moment where you think, is that worth it? 
And if, how can I get, you know, is Chipotle $20 and a full service restaurant's 26 or vice versa? Um, and then maybe I should do that only once a week or twice a week. And then therefore, which restaurants would I pick? And I'll bring my lunch the other whatever times. Yeah. Mm -hmm. Um, and I think that's stratifying all different demographics. I have my lunch in the refrigerator to bring to work today for that very reason. It's like, it just becomes this crazy expense, you know? Mm-hmm. I, I, I do. I, it's funny you say this. I went to a cocktail bar, a brand new place that opened in Chicago, and it was $20 a drink. And I thought to myself, oh man, I'm like, we're going to all have right. one drink here and then we're going to peace out. It was nice, but I'm like, man, I've already been, we've already like been out. And so the last thing I want now, like, I mean, think about two drinks and you're talking like, it's over $50 with tax oh, and tips. 60. Yeah. Yeah. Tax easily, tip. easily. And so that, that's interesting. And I think that, yeah. I think you're spot on when talking about that and how it's hitting all of us and making us rethink our decisions throughout the day. Totally. I mean, I think as operators, we need to really, really think about the judge and jury and like across the whole Stop. thing. That's the other piece that operators miss is that they'll look at, oh, well, my price increase isn't that much. Yeah, but the consumer is not paying what your simple price increase is. They're now paying whatever you raise, they're now paying that additional tip because by the way, no one's been like, okay, now the standard is not 20%, it's 18% because we just went through this massive price increase. It's still 20%. So overnight you started tipping more and then the same with the tax piece. So you've got to look at that total spend and that's something that we do when we run a price increase. We always put in there like a, we'll, we'll create three or four checks, like examples, a lunch uh-huh. example, a cocktail example, and then like a dinner one. And how did this look for the person who receives that total on their statement? Because the net income to the restaurant, while it's important to the operator, is certainly not important to the consumer. And you mm-hmm. need to understand like what that spend is, just like you put it up. Yeah, you're a $40 drinks, but that's actually $60. Totally. This kind of continuing a thread I think you were starting to speak to there, Lauren. Is there a lot of the discussion around this uh, kind of handering around the future of full-service restaurants in the industry has been around that so-called kind of middle tier of restaurants that aren't the really super kind of experiential destination type experiences and aren't, aren't quick service models. But it, it sounds like what you're saying, if I, if I can sum up, is that it's not just necessarily about being a super high-end restaurant that you, you know, go to and take fancy photos of food just as like, you know, offering a really great in-person experiences. I mean, I've gone to, you know, mom and pop diners that offer an amazing, like, dining in experience just because it doesn't necessarily mean the atmosphere has to be fancy or the food has to be high-end to deliver something in person that you can't get. It's about the locals. Ordering off, ordering off a delivery. Yeah, I think there's a solid group of restaurants that's kind of aging out of a, a big chunk of the consumer base. So if you look at like Gen Z, millennials, all those folks, there's a serious segment of the restaurant population, most of, most of which, I mean, Claudia, you touched on it, are chains. And they just don't visit those as frequently as some of their older demos. And so they're starting, and if they don't correct, or in some cases, if they overcorrect, um, they become obsolete. And I think we're going to start to see a lot more of that um, happening too because they haven't found a way to connect to those generations. I mean, Claudia, do you have friends that go to those types of places? And without you know naming names, I think that like that's really important for a certain segment of this. And you know, I, I do think we all kind of get looped into this one group when it's it's really not. There's kind of like three buckets. You've got you know, the chef-driven mom-and-pop shops, and then you've got the ones who have some scale, but they're relevant within, like, that demo, and then you have the ones who, who have been around for a long time and maybe don't, or for whatever reason, don't connect with those generations. And they or they all sort of have different work to do. 
And I think that putting them all in one bucket and assuming that there's like one sort of thing about this, this segment of restaurants is a big mistake because I Mm -hmm. would say, you know, the mom and pop chef driven one-off restaurants have work to do as it relates to like managing these crazy volatility with employees and commodity items and just making sure that your business is solid. And then, and then pulling in some of this tech and it as appropriate, the middle market ones are dealing with scaling issues, systems, hiring, all the stuff. And then the super big ones or the ones that are sort of um, aging out of other demos, they have to figure out how do they maintain their brand and then create relevancy within those younger demos. And they're just really different approaches for really one segment of the business. Frankly, the reason why I'm going down the street to my old Italian restaurant isn't necessarily to hang out with the people that are like the regulars. It's just because they make really good Italian food. And I really think it's awesome. And I want to support their little business that they've had in River North for, you know, the last 30, 40 years. Um, but I agree that they're uh, that some of the challenges they face are different than like what the other concepts that you were mentioning. So it's, it's, a, it's a big bucket of... And there's probably, I mean, there definitely is way more than three. There's like the one you mentioned, that's great food, been there forever. Institution. Yeah. There's one of them, you know, they have a different set of, of circumstances and like a strategy than someone who's scaling or someone who is a, is a massive chain. Like, I think that it's a mistake to, to blend all of these different things with, with, um, you know, full service dining or even casual dining and assume any one thing about any of them. Yeah, absolutely. So I want to go into technology a little bit here, and I feel like some of the conversations around automation and technology are always much more delicate for the more full-service restaurant concepts. Are you seeing any evolution there in your restaurants in particular? So like the role of tech ideally playing in full-service going forward and what you're currently seeing in your concepts right now? Because I feel like this is still an ongoing hot topic, and especially with all the labor issues of people talking about how can we use tech to help support some of these functions when we're struggling in other areas. Talk to us a little bit about that. You know, I've been a little bit as much as I personally love tech, I think with the restaurants, I'm kind of like a romantic when it comes to that experience. And we've been a little bit, I would say a little slower and thoughtful than maybe some other restaurants. Like I don't see for our specific concept anytime soon, there being kitchen automation in terms of like, we do have a KDS system, which we onboarded um, within toast. And we changed that like right after COVID. Um, and I'll get to that in a second, but I, I think as it relates to like robots and things, I'm, I'm not there yet with that. So all of this yeah. commentary will relate mostly to tech platforms that support our operations. Um, the biggest thing for me in my mind and the strongest filter that we put this through is answering a couple questions. Like, does this create a frictionless experience for the guest? And is it truly frictionless? And again, is it frictionless for all the demographics? Like, can my mom use this? app or can my mom interface Mm. with this ordering system um, because she's not as familiar with that type of stuff and um, does it create a better experience and a uh, speed increases in terms of like getting you a drink faster or getting your check paid faster is it create convenience so for us it's like is this frictionless and creates um, a better experience is it faster better higher quality and then does it provide us um, information more quickly and in an, um, a way that's easier to understand? And that's kind of on the back end. For the guests, I never want them to feel like they're like we're prioritizing tech over their experience. And so we always want that to be experienced by the guests in a way that isn't front-loaded, meaning that they're not like, I went to this restaurant where there's 
people are really over the QR code menu thing, I think. And we all, Oh my gosh. Yeah. We thought that would stick around and it's really not. And so I think, you know, moving backwards to that, that's a great example of, of a tech piece that is prioritizing maybe savings of paper or whatever over the guest desire and experience. And so I think creating your own filters of what, for our concept, we know that if we do tech, it has to check these boxes, meaning it creates less friction, it creates a better experience, or it provides us data that we wouldn't have gotten before. And um, that then and only then will we bring that into the system. And I'll give you the example. So when we brought Toast into the system, we used to have Aloha and um, we, we migrated to Toast and we spent probably nine months vetting this new system and really understanding wow. how is this going to be across the board. And I'll tell you why, because I think that if you don't really understand the onboarding process of these tech things and look, these people are skilled. They're going to give you an amazing sales pitch. They are going to tell you about how they're going to solve all your biggest problems in the restaurant. And it's only for thirty nine ninety five. where they're going <laughs> to miss is really assessing and understanding the onboarding process. They know it to a degree, totally. but they don't know your company. And they don't know your systems and the way your guest behaves and all of those things. And so taking the time to understand that and then also making sure that you thoroughly understand the contracts that you sign with these, particularly when they're startup companies. Yes. And, and if your team and you have the bandwidth to be a part of startups where they're trying to beta test something and they may give you a lower price because they want you to beta test it and all that. Um, I think being thoughtful about tech for a lot of reasons is super important, but most of all for how does it impact your guests and your team. The other thing I'm bullish on is, is using tech for information. So in our company, we want to change behaviors as quickly as possible. That simple, internally. Meaning if we have a, a staff member who's making a bruschetta wrong or we have a system that's breaking down and we can't get somebody something, I need to be able to know about that breakdown as quickly as possible and then I need to be able to communicate and correct it as quickly as possible. And tech has taken that to a whole nother world and that I'm, I double down on because if I can get that data really quickly, in a format that my teams can understand and we can curate it because tech is a little bit like fire. You can, you, it can keep you warm at night or it can burn your house down if you don't control it. <laughs> and yeah. our jobs as the leaders is to really control this so that our teams are getting the information that pertains to them that they need um, to make behavior changes, whether that's positive or negative. Um, and so those things I think are, are, as more and more stuff comes out, I mean, when we look at our tech stack, I'm blown away by how much we have. Um, and have to manage, but I think it's it's enhanced our business because we've stayed really close to those filters that we put it through before we do it. Yeah, I love what you said about QR menus and all of the tech comments that you just made. First off, QR menus. One, I do miss seeing photos of the dishes before I buy them. I I, I like that. Either or I'm, or I'm if you don't have that, I'm going straight on the gram and I'm looking you up and I'm seeing what everybody's tagging in like in the section. Not what you're posting, but I want to know what the guests are posting. That's number one. But man, do I miss paper menus. You're I like super to, sleuth, Detective Claudia. I'm very it. sleuth like when it comes to this. <laughs> very sleuth like. But the stuff that you the, the thing you mentioned about tech that I thought was really important was one, who's my audience and can they understand this, like the generational issues? And I think about my parents and how, you know, when they walk into a restaurant, they're not used to scanning a QR code. I mean, they're in their, they're almost in their seventies. Secondarily, I, I like that you mentioned about your team. I remember I went to a conference this summer, FAB in Charleston, which is for women in food service, which I'm sure some of our listeners may be familiar with. And one of the things that we heard a lot was that if my team doesn't understand this or is on board, the tech is completely useless. And if they're not all using it at once. It's useless as well. So 
I think that um, I like that you're thinking about it very holistically in that sense. It's just important. I mean, like more is not more into the tech world. And I think we all need to remember that. Yeah. That actually tees up nicely something I I was curious about as we talk about the future of the sector. And I I think, as you mentioned, you know, it's, it's almost a mistake to talk about full service dining as a monolith when it is really made up of a lot of uh, distinct segments. But I'm curious, in your view, kind of what that X factor is going to be for the uh, the concepts, uh, kind of putting chains aside more the, the independent concepts that thrive and, and survive into the future. And I'm curious if you think having that really good sense of where technology can serve your customer and your business and where it maybe isn't a fit will be a really increasingly important factor for uh, operators that uh, kind of succeed as you know the environment continues to evolve. I would say I think staying really, really clear on the things that differentiate your business and the things that you do really well. Um, it's, it's tough in this world right now because information is a commodity. I mean, when you think back to 10 years, 15 years ago, we couldn't get Oh, I can, I can, you know, also have a ghost kitchen in my kitchen and people are calling you to say like, oh, you're not that busy. So let us make this whatever thing. And like, oh, it sounds really great. It's going to put this money into your bottom line. But, you know, to me, it's about editing and curating and discipline around. We know that this thing that we make makes us really successful and we're going to, we're going to be the best thing at that thing. Um, I think that we all have a tendency to have shiny object syndrome where it's like, oh, if I do this, it'll fix this. And, um, and then being self-aware too, of like, again, we have so many data points coming in from guests all the time. I mean, you could have a restaurant 10, 15 years ago and suck and people wouldn't figure it out for however long, right? Now, you you know you suck. Like, you got Claudia over here on the Yelp. Like, she's going to be dropping some cute <laughs> reviews. Yeah. Like, Cla- Claudia will put you on blast. I'm, a, I'm, a, get those. <laughs> <laughs> I'm on I'm all about the gram. I'm all about the Instagram today. Oh, okay, I think okay, I think okay. Yelp has been overrun with too many fake reviews, but Instagram, I mean, listen, that's not to say there's not a ton of bots on Instagram. There for sure are, but it's the photo. I need the photographic evidence, you know? I know, but- I know. I'm just trying. I, get you, I think you have a secret Yelp profile that we don't know about. I know, you don't right? Know. I love Yelp. I get on these panels sometimes and people are like, oh, Yelp. And I'm like, man, this is the big mistake. You need to look at Yelp as these are love letters. These are people, even when they're the worst review you could possibly get yes you got punched in the stomach but you got to move yeah. on that emotion and appreciate that this individual took the time <laughs> to tell you that you have massively dropped the ball and provide even photos when by the way you normally have to pay someone to shop your restaurant to get the same information for money, yeah. you know so, so true I'm a big fan I'm a big fan of Yelp even when it's pain like I remember when you open restaurants and I would stay up at night and I'd be like it'd be two in the morning and I'd be like ding and I'd be like open my phone up and I'd like read don't don't worry I didn't read any of the good reviews I was just reading the bad one and I sit there in like tears crying like oh my god I call my baby (laughs) that's what I feel like that's what most people do though they remember the bad stuff before they remember the good stuff but what about I mean now that we're on the review thing, real quick, what about Google reviews? Because I feel like Google I love reviews. It all. I'm, not, I'm agnostic uh, when it comes. Like, yes, okay. I love it. It's love letters. I mean, tell me everything. Like, I want to know. My friends think, like, people that I'm close to, I'm like, are y'all are confused. They'll be like, oh, I didn't want to tell you. I'm like, are you mad at me? Like, why would you not want to tell me? And they're like, I don't want to hurt your feelings. I'm like, dude, you're hurting my feelings right now. Let me be clear. Like, That's tell right. me everything. I want to yeah. know. My team wants to know. You know, I think that viewpoint, Matt, to your question is like, 
we we as operators and especially early restaurants first restaurant whatever it is have to be maniacal about understanding and taking all these data points and bits and then helping it develop themes now do you take one review and that's gospel and it means that joey from you know wherever like decided that your restaurant sucked and that means your restaurant sucks no but it's a data point if you get you know mm-hmm. 10 more people along the same vein then you develop a theme and we literally chart these comments like we'll say okay we have a restaurant right now in texas that we get consistent complaints about the music being too loud and the music isn't too loud it's actually that there's echoing going on but we know now we have a problem and if we were sitting around saying these people are crazy or they're whatever like you're just you're not going to move forward and i think a lot of people get trapped up in their own narrative of defending their decisions versus having an open mind to like how can i improve this and um clearly there's a problem here and if you view these things as love letters it changes the whole dynamic of what you do with them Man, also, I feel like someone just, should start a company called like Love Letters Restaurant Reviews. Sorry, Matt, and I'm gonna let you talk now. I feel like I've I've taken over. I was just gonna say I, I'm I'm not putting too much stock in any one negative review. Definitely, you sometimes get some that are just like, oh, that this person's working through things that have nothing to do with this dining experience. Uh, there's a there's a lot more right, going on completely. here. So I I understand the value of kind of getting that aggregate data to actually drive your decision making. Those are pretty funny, though. Those some of those are pretty good. I mean, they're like yeah. the descriptive nature of the agro people. That oh write those. yeah. There's a, there's a restaurant in San Diego that actually had someone read them and then played the recording in their bathrooms. <laughs> I, I love bathroom, that. And I was like, "What's happening?" And the person was like, "This was the worst place ever." Like, oh, someone paid me to go to this place. I went, I'm like, where's this coming from? And I was like, oh, wow, that is so brilliant. <laughs> oh, my God. I absolutely love that. That's like, what was the comedy show where people would read the bad, tw- the celebrities would read the, the most vile yeah, tweets? the tweets about, against <laughs> them. Yeah. Kim- There's a yeah. Ross's restaurant. Yeah. Yes, Kimmel. Yeah. So choice. My friend Ross's bar downtown, he puts, he has a, a little, one of those things you stick the letters in and he puts the negative um, statements from Yelp, like on the quotes on there that are really, yeah. you know. I got to get creative we're with we're these things. We're not saving babies and doing rocket science here. You got to have fun. Be real. Yeah. Have self-awareness. Just make moves. Make small moves. Test stuff out. See how people ask. I mean, I'm still, I've been doing this for almost 20 years and I'm still blown away by how if you just ask people, I love this phrase, people will tell me like, oh, I ate at Joyride. And, you know, if I say, was it good? They're like, yeah, it was great. And I ask the question is so important. I'll ask them, what could we have done better? They have mm. to tell me the answer to that question. And they'll be like the most random things come out of that. They'll be like, oh, you have Pepsi and I wish we had Coke. We actually do have Coke. But, you know, or, or I, the lighting was weird. And like they'll ask me that then it invites the feedback. You've got to be actively huh. inviting the feedback I yeah. think, all the time from everybody you do business with. I think seeking people who sit in a seat or have grown a business or have a business that you aspire to have and having the vulnerability and desire enough to ask is so important. Lauren, you sit in truth and I totally dig it. I'm down with it. I'm here for the truth. <laughs> it's painful. I was talking to yeah. like, I tell you what I really think? And I'm like, oh, you're preaching me. Oh. <laughs> you're talking <laughs> to the right person. <laughs> Dude, for real, the more successful you get, you have to pay people to tell you tr- the truth. Like business coaches, therapists, like everyone's to tell you how awesome you are. And I'm like, no, I don't, I'm not for that, you know? Yeah, yeah. 
I'm for like your baby's ugly and I hate your restaurant and here's why. <laughs> I, I keep thinking about the people that wrote reviews for your Texas restaurant, the, the noise. I'm like, if I did have a secret Yelp account, that would probably be my review. I'm I'm so weird about that. If I'm going to dinner and I can't like hear you, I mean, if I'm in a noisy bar, then maybe like I'm there because I don't really want to hear you and I just want to like enjoy the atmosphere. That's different. But like if you're in a restaurant, like if I have to shout the entire time, that's a yeah. problem. That's a problem, 100%. you know? So you're saying, Claudia, if you're on like a first date and it's not going well, you're like down for the loud restaurant. Exactly. Exactly. I'm like, hey, let's go over there where it's rocky so I don't have to listen to you anymore. <laughs> Gotta go. Time's up. Uh, yeah, exactly. So, okay. So I know that you mentioned that you didn't like, that you were, you don't have robot servers, but how, like, how in general do you feel about the technology at the front of house because i think like robot servers kind of take away that interaction a little bit between the guest and the server but how do you feel about it like where do you think that technology works and where does it doesn't work in the in those situations i think it works you know part of my hang up on it and just being like i'm like an old millennial i'm an elder millennial me too like, i still remember having a landline um yeah I, struggled with the eye contact thing and like the with you I'm helping you answer the questions about the menu or whatever thing with the automation piece like there's another restaurant that you literally scan the QR code and you order from your phone and I think that's just like it's just not I don't connect with that personally and it wouldn't work in our environment there's people that like it anyway um what we were thoughtful about was like okay if we do this and we lose a little bit of like connectivity with that piece are we willing to trade that for the fact that i'm going to talk to you matt and you're going to order a glass of wine for me and then you have some questions about the menu and i have my toast handheld here and i'm able to put that wine in and because our service model is a team service while i'm still talking to you the wine arrives that's a moment you know that's again like creating a benefit to the guest and humans at this stage in life are obsessed with time and saving time and getting things as quickly as possible. It's like really interesting. It's like Amazon's whole model is that we'll get you whatever it is. These are like really commodity items you can get anywhere, but they beat everyone on speed, right? Mm-hmm. And so if we can create, we were willing to lose a little bit of that connectivity because if Matt ordered that glass of wine and he had a bunch of questions for me, I have it written on my paper and now I'm going to walk to my next table and Claudia wants to talk to me about something else and then someone pulls me over we've now added multiple minutes onto so not only is that degrading your experience at your table mat and you're waiting for your wine when you've had a really rough day and it's time it's wine 30 and you now, <laughs> now the server has to go over to the computer and what if they forget to order your wine or now they've waited five minutes best case and now they're just going to put the order in and they're going to have to wait more and more minutes yeah so not only does that enhance the guest experience it also helps this helps the restaurant because we found that if we get you a glass of wine and you've got almost gotten through that drink before you get your food you're much more likely to order a second one and thus increasing the sales so we're not trying to sell our guests a ton of stuff but definitely we saw a sales increase just simply from doing that so for us like when we're balancing out like, okay, does this take away from the connectivity of I'm making eye contact with you while you order your Pinot Noir? We were willing to trade that for the fact that you will get the Pinot Noir faster and we could potentially sell you another glass um, with the handhelds. And you know, it's so annoying when you want to pay your check and you can't find your server. So, yes. Um, they yes. can do that right there. They don't have to take your credit card and again, get pulled over to another table and they're holding your credit card and you're like, I'm being held captive at my table right now. No, you're like paying right there. Away you go. Here's the check. And then there's a QR code. If you leave the paper check, 
yeah. we can pay right there and you can leave. It's no waiting for anybody. And I think that's the piece for full service restaurants that we can learn a little bit from the fast casual or counter service is like, how do we lean into this several, I'd say 50 to 60% of folks want to dine with us faster. And how do we do that without disrupting what they're fundamentally there for, which is a full service experience connect. It's actually a really good segue. And I think as kind of a final question, I'm really curious, uh, asking you to do a little bit of future casting here. So, uh, which I realize in the era of COVID going five years into the future is, uh, a challenge, but I'm curious if there's anything you think is going to be really commonplace in full service restaurants like five years from now that maybe we're not talking about or predicting right now that might surprise people. Mm. Let me get out my crystal ball. I love looking <laughs> in the crystal ball. Um, it is spooky you know, I season. <laughs> I think there's going to be a big disruption with these third party delivery platforms. Um, you know, I don't think very many of them have been able to be profitable. There's an issue with the drivers and them being compensated correctly. There's a massive charge to the restaurant that I do think more consumers know about now. Like most consumers know if they order directly with the restaurant, that helps the restaurant where that was not the case um, pre-COVID. I think there's going to continue to be disruption on that. I, I, although I do think there may be one or two that sort of edge out the others or there's like a purchase. So we're going to see some... Um, some shifting there. I think that there's the model is like fundamentally broken, like taking that much money, you know, 30% of the restaurant's menu price and then really not paying the drivers a lot. And then these companies still not being able to pay their bills. Like, I don't know how long, you know, that can be sustainable. And if I'm hoping someone comes up with an idea that sort of solves that or guests mm -hmm. just really know, like you, the toast has integration with DoorDash and they're just using them as a driver provider, basically. Um, I think you'll see that. I think that you're going to see a return to people continuing to just want to be together. I feel like that was one of the biggest gifts of COVID was a lovely reminder to all of us who had become so physically separated that being physically together is preferable. And I think we're going to continue to see that. We're already, we already know that you know most companies are calling back their teams to be in person in some way, shape, or form. Um, and I think that will affect restaurants in that you'll see return to office and then teams going out more together or the ones who do elect to go to remote, they'll use us as a place to land with teams and build rapport and bond um, that they can't get from a remote environment. Um, I think that you're gonna see that the employee environment continue to be challenged. It's gonna increase a lot of the prices and then there's gonna be a lot of ripple effects from that. So um, what those are, I don't know. I mean, if the FAST Act passes in California, that's gonna be oh, yeah. really impactful to um, you know, and I think it's one of those things that the intention is really good and it's like, you know, treat people fairly and pay them a fair wage. Um, but my fear is that in doing so, those operators are just going to significantly raise the prices and then that raises the bar. There's just a lot of ripple effects. So if you're, you know, a dishwasher and you're going to now make $22 an hour, not only does that raise the bar of like for all the mom and pops and even though the law doesn't technically apply to them, that's just the price now, right? And now if that's the price at restaurants, um, the people who maybe work for $15 an hour at a, you know, at a grocery store or whatever, they're gonna leave those jobs and go work at these jobs. And then there's gonna be not very many people to work those jobs because they can't afford to live in these areas where the prices have just gone through the roof. And it just kind of has this. So I think, you know, in five years time, we're gonna really know, and I don't have the answer. You know, I do think there's a lot of um, employment stuff that we need to be better at. There's a lot of people that are doing a great job too. 
And um, mm. there's going to be some things to learn from that and some, some different uh, upsets. I think that you're going to see continue to see people cook less and less at home. I still think we have a little bit of like leftovers from like COVID cooking, I call it. But Oh, yeah, the are fatigue. Busy. They're yeah, they're running around. I have one son who's eight years old, and I'm, like, mind blown by, like, where we have to be when. And I cook. And I, you know, like, I'm, I'm, I'm like, rolling through the Chick-fil-A drive-thru, and I'm, like, proud and loud and proud about it. Like, I don't know how people get done with soccer practice yeah. at 8 o'clock and feed their kid, get them from school, do the home. Like, it's just, like, one plus one doesn't equal three. And I'm mm-hmm. hopeful that, you know, our industry can support that. And I think, um, you know, the grocery stores are expensive. They've experienced the most price increase of any industry. And right. so... I don't know. We'll see. Yeah. I'm excited about it. I think it's just a great, the, the best thing about all this was like, you realize the, the place that restaurants are in people's lives and that they're these connecting community places that people come to get together to have their biggest moments of life that they want to see a friend they haven't seen. They're going to get engaged. They're going to go on a first date and maybe marry that person. They're going to decide to buy a house, take a job. Like these things all occur on our tables and it's just the most amazing thing. And I hope that doesn't change. Yeah. I think it will. I think anybody who disrupts the third party market, like if we have an emerging startup that's like really going to disrupt that, that's like the next like unicorn billion dollar idea right there. Secondly, your comments about like community, I, I believe it. I've seen it. I've lived it. I had more dates coming out of COVID that I met from people that just started talking to me out in the real world than I have like in my entire life. And I thought to myself, this has to be a product of people just really tired of sitting in their apartments and swiping around. I mean, I haven't, I haven't actually online dated in a long time, but, um, but I thought that was interesting. And I, and I completely agree with you and cooking as well. Yes. Like Friday night, I am not cooking weekends. I'm not cooking. I will, like you said, I'll try to bring my lunch in, try to do things here and there, but heck no, I got a busy, I have a busy schedule, you know? So I, I, I agree with everything you said there. I think food will always be such a joy for people. And that's like this yeah. thing that, um, that, that really binds us. And it's our, it's our fundamental foundation is that we create joy yeah. through these restaurants and through food and, and drinks and wine and all the things. But, um, and that I think is here to stay. Love it. Well, this was great, Lauren. Thank you so much for being on the show again. It's always a pleasure to have you on. Yes. Woo. We love hearing that. (laughs) Like, follow, and subscribe. (laughs) (laughs) Okay. This is so crazy. My eight-year-old, he's like just watching. I'm I'm, like mind blown by this, but he watches other, this guy, these grown men play like Minecraft and whatnot. Like, oh yeah. And he, he like, (laughs) He told me that he's like, Mom, let's make a cooking show because we cook together. I'm teaching him how to cook and stuff. Yeah. This other thing. And he's like, Mom, film this. And he, so we start filming it with my phone. And he's like doing the thing as the potatoes. And he's like, like, follow, and subscribe. And I'm like, what? <laughs> <laughs> he's learning. He's, they're learning at a younger age. <laughs> yeah, he's like, can you, can you put this on YouTube? I'm like, you don't have a YouTube channel, do you? <laughs> yeah, he's like, actually, Mom, I maybe I do. <laughs> That's awesome. Oh, I love it. Want to hear more listeners? Then you need to head to backofhouse.io, where you can find the latest on restaurant technology, food service industry news, a ton of free how-to guides, like how to digitize your space, how to work with food influencers, the latest on restaurant relief, and more interviews with industry experts. And while you're there, 
definitely remember to sign up for their free weekly newsletter, Eat.News. Back of House has a team of food service industry writers and journalists who cut through the noise and give you the headlines that you really need to see each week. This is honestly one of the best weekly food service focused newsletters I've ever read or seen, and I wouldn't say that if it weren't true. Follow us on Twitter at BOH underscore podcast and at We Are Back of House on all other platforms. 